Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I hope you had a very Merry Christmas and are someplace warmer than frigid Ann Arbor or Detroit as you listen to this week's show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. This week, we are back with our usual two shows on Game Week. Today, we get our last visit of the year from the Angel of the Big House, beat writer Angelique Shengelis from the Detroit News. On Thursday, we'll get familiar with our New Year's Day opponent when we spend some time with South Carolina beat writer Ben Briner from the State News out of Columbia, South Carolina. On news and notes today, I will keep it short because the segment with Angelique is about 40 minutes. The team is now in Florida to put the finishing touches on their game plan. It's a business trip to be sure, but there are still daily fun activities planned for the team. I'm sure the players and the fans will not miss the Arctic weather we're having in Michigan right now, which is supposed to stay with us right into the new year. So weather, we hope, won't be an issue on Monday, as far as we know. This is a huge game for Michigan and this team. To many, this was a disappointing season, or at least not what some fans expected. There are no excuses, but when you replace virtually your entire starting lineup and you use three quarterbacks, there are going to be some hiccups, and there were. Brandon Peters has been taking the starters' reps since bowl prep started. There is no looking over his shoulder, at least not right now. As Angelique and I discussed, This might be the last game of the season, but in many ways, it's just as much about next season. The players, the program, their coaches, and yes, the fans, need this win. It would be a great springboard into winter conditioning and fall practice. On today's game day segment, we touch on a lot of topics, recruiting, Shea Patterson, and of course, the Outback Bowl. As I said, it's about 40 minutes in length, so let's get to it. The Angel of the Big House, beat writer Angelique Shengelis from the Detroit News, is with me next here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew.
Joining us uh, this week on our game day segment as we get ready for the Outback Bowl, and there's a lot of other things surrounding the Michigan football program to chat about, is beat writer Angelique Shingelis from the Detroit News. Wonderful to have you back, Angelique. Well, it's great to have my voice back. I'm so disappointed we didn't get to do our annual pre-Ohio State talk. So um, it was a darn Wisconsin press box, and I lost my voice. Oh, right, and that's what I told the listeners, uh, because I had promoted the fact that you were going to be on the show. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, losing your voice, we couldn't do that. But here it is a month later. I have later. to tell you, though, Mike, I, I asked uh, Harbaugh a couple questions that next that Monday, and I was talking like this. <laughs> and, you know, very breathy and tried to spit it out. And he kind of looked at me like, what's going on here? <laughs> so I was trying to talk. It just wasn't very appealing. So I appreciate your patience and understanding. Again, welcome back. And here we are, uh, another trip to the Outback Bowl, Angelique. It seems like we were there not that long ago and playing this mm-hmm. very same South Carolina team. Five years goes really fast. They go really fast, don't they? I mean, it, it does feel like it. It's like when people said, oh, it's only been five, it's been five years and, and that window. And I thought, no, no, it's only been a few years ago. And boy, different coach, uh, alternate uniforms no one could see. And then the Jadavian Clowney hit on, on Vincent Smith. So it has been five years. And um, I think they are looking forward to it. I mean, I really, I, I think that they would have been happy going anywhere, but uh, I think they're really happy to be back in Florida and know that they have a lot of fans who will travel and who will come into to the Tampa area for this game. So um, I think everybody, I think that the team seems really positive about this, Mike. The fans are very happy too. I know after the uh, after the Ohio State game, I was thinking hmm, maybe the Holiday Bowl. I even thought maybe the Pinstripe Bowl. So mm-hmm. when we got the bid for the Outback Bowl, I thought. That's very good, and of course, Coach D'Antonio and the guys weren't too happy about that either. No, they weren't, and and I totally understand that. But I I do think they have that's a great matchup. I mean, Michigan State Washington State's a great matchup. I thought it would have been great to see Harbaugh and and Leach out there too, and and certainly all the storylines with with Harbaugh back in San Diego. And I just you know when Brett McMurphy, who is you know, really tied in national college football guy, now not working for anybody, he had been working for ESPN, and when he wrote. Uh, on Twitter that Monday, like what four or five days before the the bowl announcements that 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 Michigan was a lock for the Outback Bowl, you kind of figured that they all thought that the dominoes would fall in place and that Michigan State would be going to the Capital One in Orlando and and Michigan would be done deal to the Outback Bowl and and it sure sounds like they'd cut that deal and that that they were ready to go with that from from the from that previous Monday so. It's a business decision. I mean, once you get past those uh, playoff games, it really, in the New Year's Six games, it's a business decision for these bowl games. And, and what they see in Michigan is a team that draws. And But they were three of the, the most highly rated football games this season Michigan was part of. And they sell a lot of tickets. They draw a lot of eyes. And, and I think that's the bottom line for a lot of these, these uh, bowls. And Michigan was there. And so why not? Absolutely. That's what it's all about. Well, before we talk about the game, there's so much going on uh, since the end of the season and in the news surrounding the program right now. I think the front burner issue for fans that everyone has been focused on is the Shea Patterson situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his addition, uh, to me, it, it is only a positive. Now we have some three very talented young men in the quarterback room, and I think it's all good, don't you? Oh, I do. I mean, I think it's a great addition. I think it, it makes that quarterback room so much deeper, so much richer in knowledge and experience. And, and that's what, that is what this, this team needs right now. With, uh, with When Wilton Spate 
took off when he decided to transfer wherever he's going. And, um, you know, Alex Malzone, I don't think anybody saw that as, as a deficiency in the room, and, and that's no offense to Alex, but, you know, he was a backup. So I think the Wilton loss, and I don't think Harbaugh saw it coming. At least that was how I interpreted his comments and, and certainly Wilton's. But, um, you know, I think that when they saw the opportunity with Shea, they had to take it, Mike. I mean, he is a guy who started 10 games. He was the number one quarterback in the 2016 class. And I think it's great for Brandon Peters to have more competition. Although Dylan McCaffrey, I think, is giving him plenty of it. I think this just is a win-win for everybody. In three years, he went from one year, I think it's freshman <laughs> year in Texas, uh, to Louisiana. And then that was not his decision. That was because, I think, of his dad's job moves. Right. But going to IMG, his mom said, was his decision. So when you wonder, when you have a new kid coming in, you know, the problems with transferring and adjusting, he's already had to adjust to so many things in life. I don't think it's going to be that tough for him. That's a great point. I mean, talk about being well adjusted to, to getting, being away from home, first of all, uh, by going to IMG and then going off to, to Oxford and now to Ann Arbor. I mean, he's been there, done that. And you're right. He is used to making new friends and, and all the things you have to do when you make transitions from city to city. And, you know, I think that he was on his visit here with, with a couple of his Ole Miss teammates, and their host was C.J. Ruiz, who was his center at IMG Academy. So he already knew somebody here. He knew Brandon Peters, too, because they went to a lot of the camps together. So it's not like they, these guys don't know each other. They may not know each other well, like he and Caesar know each other, but they all know of each other, and they've been to camps together. And I think that he knows this area. Like you said, he was, I think he lived in Toledo until he was in fifth grade. So... It's not like this is unfamiliar territory. He has family still in northern Ohio, northwestern Ohio. And um, I, I think it's going to be an easy move for him. I really do. And, um, you know, it's talking to different people. It's going to be interesting to see how he blends with Harbaugh. But it sounds like they have similar, that competitiveness and that, that fire. They seem very similar in that sense. And um, so I, I don't think there's any concerns in that way. But I, you make a great point. I mean, he should have absolutely, there should be no issue for him making this transition here to Ann Arbor. Someone else he knows a bit. We're going to see under center for South Carolina. Uh, when he was, I think it was when he was a sophomore in Louisiana, he unseated Jake Bentley as the starting quarterback who moved out to receiver for the one year that Shea was, uh, I think it was Calvary Baptist, Calvin Baptist, something that's like right. that in Louisiana. But so those two know each other also. It's amazing. I mean, that, that's the thing. These guys do really, and with, with the proliferation of camps, across the country and, and these guys go to so many of them when they're juniors more, you know, more like their junior year, even a little bit before that they all get to know each other. And especially if you're the, in the elite 11 camps, obviously the quarterbacks get to know each other. So there is there, they do, they do see each other. I mean, it's not like travel basketball and baseball where they play against each other all the time, but they do camp together and, and they do develop friendships and, and, and strong acquaintances, I guess would be the side for the way to describe some of them. But, um, yeah, no, I think he's, you know, he, he seemed very comfortable when he was here on that visit. I got in trouble, Mike, when I went up to him and asked if he could uh, do an interview. So I thought that transfers were different than recruits. <laughs> I was wrong. So I got semi-yelled at. But uh, um, he did a, a really extensive interview with the Toledo Blade, um, you know, his hometown paper about a week or so ago. And, and he seems really excited about this opportunity and, and being here with, with his staff and, and with uh, the guys that he did get, get a chance to spend time with. And 
you know, John O'Corden had on Instagram that they were all out too. So everybody got involved in, in that courtship that weekend. Well, and I suppose the only thing we're waiting to find out is, will he be eligible? And I haven't seen or heard yet, Angelique, is there a time frame for the NCAA to move on that? Well, no, I did speak to Thomas Mars, who he is the, he's an Arkansas-based attorney who represented Houston Nutt in his case against Ole Miss. And I mean, the documentation that he has, I mean, the, the legal filings that he's made, when you read those, Mike, it's like, I mean, it's like reading a soap opera. It's unbelievable, <laughs> the stuff that was going on at Ole Miss and, and you know, basically the the lies that were being told by Hugh Freeze and his staff and, and, and administrators and putting all these issues, all these violations on Houston Nutt. So that's why he hired Thomas Mars. And Thomas Mars is representing... Oh, probably six, seven of these players from Ole Miss who are seeking the, to have that waiver, to have the transfer rule waived. And um, when I spoke to him, what about ten days ago, a week ago, um, he said that you know what they have to they have to prove that that these kids were lied to. And um, when you read the, the court filings, you kind of think, well, yeah, everybody was lied to. <laughs> and 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 talking specifically about that that 2016 class too that that Shea was in and um, they're calling it egregious behavior. And he said that the NCAA office, NCAA office is closed now for the holidays. And he would expect a decision probably late January, maybe even into early February. But um, so that's what, that's the calendar I'm looking at. And I figured he would know best since he's handling a lot of these kids and uh, you know, he's representing them. So he doesn't see any reason why, they would not have this transfer rule waived based on that kind of loophole in the NCAA rules about egregious behavior and, and that these guys were lied to about where what kind of violations they would have, uh, that it would just be a one-year one bowl ban. Now it's two. So he, he feels good about it, and I've read the comments from Shea saying, you know, it's in God's hands, but he feels good about it as well. So I guess time will tell, but looking more like late January. Okay, well, well, that's good. If the wheels turn like they should, then he should at least know by the time spring practice yes. starts. Yes, yes. I mean, and I, look, I, I think that, that everybody must feel good about this. I don't think Michigan would have pursued any of these three that, that hard, uh, particularly Shea, if they didn't feel good about where this, this would go with the NCAA. And again, I don't think anybody, I don't think the NCAA has tipped, tipped its hand at all. I don't think they have any inside info, and I'm speaking about Michigan. And uh, but I think that they all feel like, with the evidence that's at hand, that they have a good case. All of these players have a good case to to receive immediate eligibility. In other news, Angelique, the early signing day came and went this past week or last week, really without much fanfare. I didn't know what to expect. I don't think many of us did. Uh, but much different than the traditional February spectacles we were used to seeing, Angelique, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. I mean, weren't you waiting for a, a signing of the Stars <laughs> December edition? I was. And I mean, that would be incomplete, of course, because you got to wait till February for the whole class to be signed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and I think part of it was because no one really knew how this was going to work. I mean, even the coaches, I think that there was just a level of uncertainty on, on in, in so many ways. But, you know, I think that there was little fanfare for Michigan because it's not a top five class. They didn't have those dazzling recruits. But, um, you know, for me, it just sort of happened. Like, you know, I don't, I don't dive into recruiting like a lot of people do. But suddenly it's like, oh, 
exciting day. I guess I should pay attention. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people felt that way. I don't pay as much attention as I maybe should to recruiting uh, either, but a lot of people listen to this show certainly do. And they uh, were emailing me immediately after National <laughs> Signing Day. And it, it, you can't make everyone happy. I realize that. No. but. You know, as I heard from a lot of them this week, they were disappointed. There weren't more five. There were no five stars wanted more four stars. And are we starting to have problems after two years now recruiting this whole recruiting thing? The way people keep up with it is just amazing. It is. And, you know, my uh, my my motto, I guess I would call it is is when they sign, I'll really care about who they are. (laughs) but you know that's not. I, I think people enjoy the game of it too, and and seeing where where the coaches are going and who they're talking to, and and how do they sway this kid or that kid, and why isn't this kid coming here? And you know, I think it's it's there's there's it's really fascinating once you do start paying attention to it and listen to these. A lot of these stories are really interesting. I mean, especially when guys haven't played football most of their careers, then suddenly they they start playing and they're phenomenal and. And Michigan's in on that kid. And then what, they've got a kid from Germany now and, um, you know, raw talent and, and big and fast. And what can he become? So I can see why people enjoy this. But, you know, I also I don't get like to get bogged down in the stars. And, and I think that there there are good reasons why the five star players are five stars. But after that, I, I don't know, maybe a three star could really be a four star. Maybe a four star is really a three star. So I think that there's some waffle room there. And, um, but I can see why there's disappointment that there aren't any five stars, but you know, when I talked to some of the recruiting experts and they said, you know, Harbaugh just goes after the best players he can find at the positions that they want to fill. And, um, you know, sometimes there aren't five star guys that they want those spots that, that have an interest. And so they, they look for the guys who are really interested in being at Michigan. And I think that's kind of the bottom line, I would think. I guess I'm old school when it comes to recruiting. I still mm-hmm. love Bo's answer when he was asked is this a good class? And he said, I'll tell you in four years. Exactly. Uh, because, exactly, Mike. I mean, you, you look at not just Michigan, but you can take anyone in the Big Ten, anywhere in college football, four years later and see how many guys are still there, how many guys played, how many guys panned out. It's it's a low percentage, a fairly low percentage. So it is not an exact science. It is not. And I always say, you know, it's not, they're not projecting them. I don't think about, I, I don't think I've been misinterpreted this. They're not saying we're projecting them to be a five-star player in college. They're, they're saying we're evaluating their high school careers. And with that in mind and, and the type of, um, you know, their height and weight and everything, and, and they're all their other attributes, this is why you're a five-star. And they're not saying we fully expect them to be all-American, census all-Americans, but um, I think that when recruiting experts label them with stars, they're saying this is the potential we see. But no, it, it's, you're, like, you're, you're right. It's not an exact science. And, and this is also where coaches come into it and, and the development. I mean, we had that long discussion a couple of years ago about, is it the players or is it the, the development? Mm-hmm. And um, so it does, you know, it does weigh heavily on the coaches too and what they can do with this. And, you know, if so many people have made so much about D'Antonio and his recruiting classes and taking, you know, a few years ago, two and three stars and, and how they developed. Well, it is a large part about that. So. Um, as long as the tools are there, it's it's how, how do they draw the best out of them? And that, that's up to the coaches and the players, of course. With us here on our game day segment this week, as we uh, look ahead to the Outback Bowl, and uh, again, there's so much going on this time of year uh, surrounding the program other than the bowl games. But in January, we'll have uh, time to, to do our postmortem, so to speak, on the season. But on January 1st, 
Michigan has one more game to play. And even though it's the last game of the season, I think in many ways, Angelique, the Outback Bowl is now more about next season, isn't it? It really is. I mean, I, I think it's eight and four, nine and four. I mean, whatever, eight and nine wins, it doesn't matter at this point. It is about about the future. And it's about, um, you know, when I talked to a bunch of the players last week, we all did. And they, they spoke about how, how, and it was the older guys talking about that the freshmen and the sophomores got so many more reps. And boy, these guys are dynamite and they're going to be really good. And it is about that. And it is about, you know, figuring out this offensive line and who's going to play tackle and, and who's going to give them the best chance at these different positions. And that's what this time is about. And, and the bowl game, certainly they want to win it. But uh, and springboard into into 2018 with a win. But um, I think right now it's more about getting developing these guys and and getting Tariq Black back to full strength. And not saying he's going to play, but just that he's using these bowl practices and and Donovan Peoples Jones picking up where he left off you know, toward the end of the season. I thought he was really looking like the real deal and and now making him into the real deal. So. I think that's what the, what this bowl practice stretch is all about, and uh, and certainly the bowl game, and then going into to winter conditioning, and then uh, spring practice will be here before we know it. You know that, Mike. <laughs> Absolutely, it's right around the corner. Well, you know, I have to admit that during the season, I maybe saw highlights of South Carolina, but really, that's about it. But when you take some time now to uh, study this South Carolina team, look at a bit of their uh, their video you realize their season very much mirrors Michigan's Mm -hmm, very mm -hmm. good defensive team, but one that struggles on offense. This really, for those reasons, is an interesting matchup. Well, I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, I I thought that was, you know, that's how I describe it too, that they mirror each other. And and I think that this is a team that was in dire program that was in in dire straits a couple years ago and, and made a coaching change and and they keep getting better, and they keep getting better. And uh, but they're still struggling on offense. And um, you know, I think that this is it's going to be a good matchup for Michigan. I think it's a, a matchup that that they can really take advantage of. I mean, I would give Michigan the, the edge, and I think that they're they're still big favorites in this game. I don't know how big anymore. I haven't looked uh, lately, but um, you know, I think that this is this Michigan defense is now that Maurice Hurst is 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 playing, and I, I had a feeling he might. Um, and maybe, you know, we see the, the last game for Chase Winovich. I think that they have a lot to prove, and, and I think that they can do that against this, this uh, South Carolina offense. Well, when I talk to some of the South Carolina beat writers in the last week, they tell me this South, South Carolina team has talent on offense at the mm-hmm. skill positions. and Good they, receivers, yeah. Good receivers and uh, a nice quarterback, good numbers, and Jake Bentley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like Michigan, their people say the issues are in the trenches, and that's why they only average 24 points per game. So unless they've really improved over the last month, you would think they're really going to struggle against this defense. I would think so. And then I, I would say conversely, I think Michigan's offensive line, as much as I have thought, you know, like everybody, this has been the weakness year after year, I thought it was getting a little bit better and and saw some, uh, you know, nice work from from Ruiz at, at guard and, and, uh, and when he was getting better before his, uh, his injury. So I think that, that I, I would give the Michigan's offensive line. I haven't said this a lot many times. I would give them the advantage going into this one over the South Carolina offensive line. Cause I don't, this is, uh, you know, these, these guys are going out for their last game. I mean, I'm Maurice Hurst and, and potentially chase one of it. And they've got something they want, they want to show something too. So I would, uh, I would think that, 
that Michigan would get the edge in the trenches on on both sides in this game. Well, it seems like a lot of the national media is uh, right now assuming that this is going to be a low-scoring game because of the fact that both offenses have struggled for a variety of reasons. I'm not so sure myself Mm -hmm. uh, right now, but I just have a feeling that Brandon Peters, even Mm -hmm. though we've seen not a lot of him, might be the guy that can make this offense much more effective. It is a big game for him. I totally agree with you. And I mean, he wants to prove something about with all the Shea Patterson talk. He wants to remind people that um, I'm here. I'm still in the quarterback competition. Don't forget about me. And he's been in the system for, uh, you know, what, almost two years or I get my years wrong. Uh, and he's been with Pep Hamilton for almost a year. So he's got a little, uh, uh, you know, an edge on, on uh, Shea Patterson in that department. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Before his his injury, his concussion at Wisconsin, I he was I thought he was really looking like a guy who commanded the offense. He looked like he was getting very sure of himself and very confident. And um, I talked to his dad oh, a week or so ago, also about about all of this with with the Shea Patterson talk, and and he said, look, I mean, Brandon's all for it. He wants the competition. He he wants to show how good he is too. So um, I think you're right. I mean, this is an important game for Brandon Peters and, and for him to, to make make it clear that he's not going anywhere. And, um, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe you see Dylan McCaffrey in this game too. I mean, I, I, I don't think you, I mean, no, well, I obviously can't, but I think, you know, the one thing, and I'm, I'm, I wanted to bring this up earlier, like I thought Harbaugh made a really good point about this, this red shirt rule that they're considering and that, the bowl games, when you said this is really looking forward to next year, in that vein, it would be good if this game could count toward next year. So you could see a Dylan McCaffrey on the field and, and let him get his feet wet in a big game situation and let him understand what it's like to to play in a game and take real hits versus what he sees in practice. And um, I think that is something that when they consider that rules, the rules change with the, with red shirting, that that's something that they really, really consider. Cause I think it'd be important for someone like McCaffrey to be out there. Cause he will be in this mix. Uh, everything I've heard is that he is absolutely special. Maybe he's not ready yet, but he, but he will be in the mix. And, and he's, he is going to really benefit from this new quarterback room, the way the, the complexion of it. Well, of course, looking ahead to, uh, to the Outback Bowl, we can't put it all on Brandon, even though I think he is a difference maker. And I'm excited to see him uh, with a month of uh, practice now, see what he can do under center. But he has to stay upright. And, and that, yes. to me, is where this game will really be decided. I like the run blocking for most of the year. I think Mm -hmm. it got better and better uh, as the year wore on. It was the pass protection that was was so shaky at times. And not only the offensive line, but our running backs were not picking up uh, blocks and blitzes. Not at all. I think uh, in some games, blocking from the backs was worse (laughs) than the offensive line. You're correct. So to me, that is going to be a key again in the Outback Bowl. You've, You've got to give Brandon time. You have to give Brandon time, and and I will, I agree with you. I mean, I've watched, uh, I remember watching several games. I mean, just through my binoculars and focusing on the running backs and watching some of those guys just get blown by, and and I'm thinking, okay, this is where you need a Davion Smith. I mean, this is where people, you know, maybe they didn't think he was the greatest running back, but he did give you that in pass protection, and um, you know, you need that kind of. Mike Hart was sort of selfless in that way too, and. Um, you know, I think it's there. I think it's, it's, again, it's about getting that developed and, um, you're, you're right. It has been the weakness and, and 
I, you know, even Mason Cole, I mean, he's playing out of position. I mean, left tackle is not his spot, and that's not where he's going to play in the NFL. And so it's been across the board. It's not, you know, he hasn't been flawless, and I'm not trying to put this on Mason Cole. I'm just trying to say it's, it's, it's really everybody and on the offensive line. And you're right, the running backs, Mike. I mean, they, they, they are part of this, too, and, um, and a big part of it. You know, I think I think Brandon understands. You know, he he can feel the defense. He knows where to move. But sometimes, I mean, we saw it. He didn't have time to get out of get out of way, get out of the way of getting hit. And and obviously, um, boy, he took some big hits. <laughs> now I'm thinking about it. even from his first game in the Rutgers game, he took a big hit. Next game, he took a big hit. And then and then obviously the Wisconsin game was an enormous hit. So um, I don't think uh, you know. I I think that people need to. I've brought up the coaching staff and and where this offensive line is going, and it's it's not just the players. It's it's are they being coached up properly, and and that's something that I think that that Harbaugh has to evaluate after this bowl game. No, I agree. It's just not a simple answer where you you can say if we fix that we'll be okay. Not at all. But what I what I really do think is that uh, when Brandon came in, started playing, by that time defensive game planning against Michigan had pretty much been you know cemented. They were just going to come after. Uh, the quarterback, and even in the Wisconsin game, you noticed when when he started to hit some passes, they backed up. So that yeah, helped the did. offensive line. It helped the, the 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 running backs, and I think the same is going to be true against uh, a team that likes to blitz in South Carolina. You burned them. Uh, you changed mm-hmm. uh, the mindset of that defense, right? And uh, you know, I and I think you're right. I mean, we did start to see Brandon feeling that, and then getting comfortable and hitting receivers and finding Donovan Peoples Jones and. Uh, I, I think that that's, that was sort of the shame of it for me is, is that, you know, I was enjoying watching this guy develop and, and it was, you know, too bad that he couldn't play in the rest of that game, obviously. But then in the Ohio State game, because I thought, you know, he's going to be really, that, that would be a great challenge for him, that defense. And boy, did they have a good game plan for Ohio State. And, mm. uh, and I, I, you know, thought, wow, if, if Brandon Peters could have been able to, to run that, that game plan against Ohio State, I, I think that um, he could have had terrific success on hitting some of those wide-open receivers and uh, not trying to take a shot at John O'Corn. I'm just saying I, I think Brandon Peters would have hit some of those passes, and um, and it could have been a different outcome. It could have been a different outcome in Madison as well, and, and that's why I'm, I think he has that kind of talent, and he's a game-changer, but you're right. <laughs> he's got to stay upright, and he's got to have his receivers catch these balls, so uh, saw a lot of drop passes this year too. So mm-hmm. I mean, it, there's blame to go around, and uh, tight ends too can't absolve them either. But um, no, no one's perfect, Mike. I know that, except you and me right now. We're just and I, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of blame to go around on this uh, this offensive performance this year, which was really hard to watch at times. It really was, and I'd like to think. We're going to put some points on the board mm-hmm. in the Outback Bowl, but don't know. So if it is a low-scoring game, you're looking for advantages uh, wherever you can find them uh, when you look ahead to the game. Kicking and field position could really be huge if it's mm-hmm. a low-scoring game. And, and I think that's where Michigan does have an advantage uh, in the punting game. And I know Quinn Nordine has made <laughs> some folks nervous <laughs> late in the season. Now, when you look at his numbers, they're pretty darn good. Uh, and they I t- are. I was telling a fan the other day, well, look, if you don't like what Quinn Nordeen has done, just Google South Carolina. Look at their numbers. They've used two field goal kickers. They're 13 of 25 this year. And a lot of us don't pay attention to that when you're game planning or looking ahead. But it can really bite you. Uh, and and oh. they have issues. <laughs> yes, they have issues. I mean, I, I think that 
I think Quinn Nordine has dealt with some things at the end of the season and, and getting him and his head straight. And I think that, you know, I, I, uh, what did Harbaugh say, uh, after the, the Maryland game? I know you guys like your rants or your heated moments, but that wasn't heated. Yeah, that was heated. He got in his face. They both got each other face after that, after, uh, you know, a not so great performance by Quinn. And, and I think he's the type of guy who thrives in that and, and being challenged by the coach. And I think he challenges himself. And, um, I, I don't think, that there's going to be a problem with Quinn Nordine going forward. I just think he's, you know, he's an emotional guy and yeah, he's going to miss some of these, but I don't think that that's going to be a consistent thing for Quinn Nordine. And um, although it was really kind of fun watching that, that uh, little moment that he had with Harbaugh in the Maryland game, that was kind of a highlight. You know, I think, yeah, I, I do think that he got a little rattled at Penn state that first time. And then, you know, you know how kickers are, they can be fragile and um, I think he, but he worked his way through that. And they do. I remember Kenny Allen, you know, last season, mm-hmm. Kenny had that stretch. What was it? Three, four in a That's row right. that he missed. And then he bounced back and did not miss another one. So yeah, it gets in their heads a bit at times, these kickers, but I'm, I'm not really worried about Quinn Nordine either. I guess. Well, uh, I mean, it's, it's like golf. I mean, the whole tin cup thing, you just keep putting the ball back down and you keep trying to make the shot. You keep trying to make the kick and. And at some point, the coach finally says, yeah, okay, you need to go step away and clear your head. Or the coach sees it as, yeah, I know that you thrive on on, uh, on getting, staying in the game and you're going to perform. And, and I think that's what Harbaugh sees in, in Quinn Ordeen. And um, it is, it's a mental balance. And, and uh, I think he's got it. I just think that at times he can get a little emotional and, and speeds up his motion. And, and that's what they've been working on with him. Well, the bottom line looking ahead at the Outback Bowl, and I, I think it's a lot of uh, the fans feel this way too. It's a huge game. It won't wipe away the Michigan State or Ohio State losses, but we need to win and, and show some promise for next year. It is so very important uh, for the psyche of this young team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I do think it's a must win. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that they, as we discussed, they match up better. They're a better team, I think, overall than South Carolina. And, um, you know, I think that, that this is the way they wanted. They wanted to send their seniors out with a win against Ohio State, and they didn't. And here's a chance to send them out of their careers with, with a big win while knowing that this is only going to help them going into 2018. It's going to help them mentally as they go into the grueling winter conditioning process. And then those four-hour spring practices loom not that far away. So um, there's nothing better than a win, I think, in a, in a bowl situation, even though it may be quote-unquote meaningless to some people. It's meaningful in, in, in the way you described, Mike. It, it, gets them, it gets them in that groove and that winning groove and, and that's something they have to remember how to do because, boy, that game at Notre Dame is going to be here before we know it. And uh, who knows who's going to be quarterback, but you know, you're going to have a, a team that feels like it's got some momentum coming off of a New Year's Day Bowl win. Absolutely. Very important for so many reasons. There's been so much going on, as we said. We, we know the bowl game's coming up. Uh, we'll be hearing a lot more about that in coming days. But since the season ended, I think one of the things I found interesting is we have not heard much about uh, Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL. Uh, there, there were a few <laughs> Are things you starting the, the rumors, Mike? No. Are you starting them now? <laughs> I just uh, I, I, fi- I found it surprising the first two years. Uh, we heard that, and then you would hear mostly from NFL writers saying, it's something you better get used to. You're going to hear it every year. You know, I could be wrong, but my vibe is Jim Harbaugh is not the kind of man or coach that would walk away from what he sees as a job unfinished, especially at his alma mater. And I think, Tim, it's bigger 
than a job. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think people from outside of the uh, the Michigan family really misjudge that. I think you're right. And you know, what was it last year when he called people jive turkeys who <laughs> who uh, insinuated that he would be heading to the NFL? And yeah. um, so I was thinking maybe you were bordering on j- jive turkiness there, Mike. No, I, I'm teasing <laughs> you, but I agree with you. I mean, I think. I, I think he is, you know, a lot of people don't like the, the the trip to Rome and the one that's coming to Paris because he should be more focused on coaching. But I think that that's what keeps him alive and, and enjoying this process with the college kids is, is, is broadening their horizons. And I think he likes that part of, of coaching football, not to mention the, the game day experience and getting his players ready. And I think that he likes the, the give and take with the young players he, uh, to me, fits better, the rah-rah, the, the whole college mentality that I think he really embraces, obviously plays well at this level. And you're right. I think he – I don't think he leaves if he can't – he needs to succeed at his alma mater. I think that he believes that he can, and he believes that he's on his way, and um, I think that that's what's really important to him. And I think it's important that his – his parents are living next door. It's important that he's dropping off his kids at the school where he attended. And uh, I think these are all really important things to him. And, and frankly, Mike, I mean, isn't he doing more things and, and meeting more interesting people than he did when he was with the 49ers or, or anywhere else? I mean, he's, you know, he's been to a state of the union address. He's hanging out with, with presidents and rappers and, you know, he's got a very enriched life. And I think that part of it he enjoys. Uh, being at Michigan, and and I think he enjoys this challenge of of bringing Michigan back. And uh, I know that you know there are the comments from Amani Toomer this week, and um, you know there is there is pressure, and I know he knows it that people are expecting the wins over Michigan State and Ohio State. He certainly knows the record. He mentioned that earlier this season, and um, that's what I think drives him. And maybe he doesn't show it as much as people would like. Maybe people want to see him get angrier. But that's not who he is, and uh, I think that that's what drives him to, to make this work. He wants to win those games and, and put Michigan back into the uh, into the national championship talk and, and certainly the Big Ten title talk. I firmly believe that, and I do not worry about Jim Harbaugh exiting anytime soon. I do worry some about a segment or some of our fans' uh, fan base that I get to talk to. And, you know, I think that when, when Jim came, we, we are living in this, in the social media era and the mm-hmm. expectations are, were through the roofs, through the roof, I should say. Everyone expected that return to glory uh, to be immediate when Jim came back. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of the problem. But for those of us who've been around a while, the one thing I know for, for my many years of watching Michigan football, this isn't the Big Ten Jim Harbaugh played in. It's not the Big Ten uh, that Bo coached in when it was the Big Two and the Little Eight. It is much harder to win now in the Big Ten than I think it has ever been. Oh, I agree. And especially this Big Ten East division. I mean, it's brutal. And, uh, you know, bravo to the teams who do win this division because it's about surviving in, in a lot of ways. And yes, everybody wanted instant you know, I mean, that's, that's the, the way society is now, instant gratification, instant satisfaction, satisfaction pardon me. And, you know, I, I think that people felt it, two 10-win seasons and still not beating Michigan State, Ohio State, coming close, obviously, against Michigan State that first year and, and obviously having the lead at, in Columbus last year before losing in overtime. And, and uh, you know, it's it's frustrating for Michigan fans. I totally get it. But, 
I thought, you know, three or four years before we get it. And I would say, and I think I've told you this before, Mike, that when Rich Rod was hired, and it, not because of Rich Rod, but because of the style of offense he was trying to bring to Michigan, I remember telling Scott Leffler, who was an outgoing staff member at that point, I said, I think this hire is going to set back the program 10 years. And that was, what, 2007 when he was hired? 2008. Mm-hmm. Now, now my years are, are uh, blending together. And it's been 10 years. I mean, I, I think that it started then. I mean, you can go back and look at the offensive line recruiting and, and, and the defections and, and all of that, and it's, it's taken some time to rebuild. And that's not an excuse. It's just saying, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things that, that he's had to fix. And, and part of it is coaching, too. I mean, there are times he's been outcoached, and Don Brown's been outcoached. There's no doubt. But uh, I think that next year is the year that, that you and I will have, we'll speak on a podcast and say, okay, they should be winning this game now. They should be at this point now. And this young team this year has gotten lots of experience. And even though they're sophomores now, they should be playing well and winning games. So um, he's got pieces in place now. He's got a couple of really good quarterbacks in that room. And, and I think that um, – Next year is when that's when people should start getting antsy if they're not winning. And, uh, and that's when expect- expectations should really be higher, but legitimately higher. Not like this year, but legitimately higher next year. Oh, and I'm sure they will be uh, when August rolls around. Of course around, they will, so. yeah. <laughs> so, of and, course and they will. I'm not saying it. anything, you know, earth-shattering. And, and mm. I thought it would be better this year because I thought Wilton State would get better. And I thought he'd stay healthy too. And, and, you know, the games he played, he he wasn't terrific, but um, that's why I thought this team would be better with a quarterback with some experience. So now this, this quarterback, whoever it is, is going to have a lot of experience back. And and now that, uh, now that's when the quarterback and, and the offensive line have to deliver. Well, in the coming week, we have uh, practice and a lot of things going on uh, down at the bowl game with uh, a good amount of fun for the team and, and hopefully for you too, Angelique. We have to keep <laughs> that in mind too. That's really uh, what these games are about too. It is a business trip. There's a big game to win. We've talked about all the reasons why that's important, but you still want the guys and the fans and the reporters covering the game to have a great experience. <laughs> nice of you to think of us, Mike. I appreciate it. But yeah, no, you know, Harbaugh, a couple of years ago, the players were like, yeah, we haven't done this. We haven't done this. That was scheduled. We didn't do this. So it was very businesslike. And and I think that, I mean, there's the Bush Gardens trip uh, planned. And I don't think a lot of stuff will be going. I think that, that he will maintain, Harbaugh will maintain this business approach. And uh, I don't think a lot of the guys will take part in some of the things. They have a bowling outing. And I know five years ago, they all did that. So I would imagine They'll participate, but it's not going to be like, hey, we're in Tampa, we're riding rides at Bush Gardens, it's a great time. I think it's going to be, okay, let's go win this game. Let's focus on this. Enjoy the weather. It's really nice. And uh, But don't mess around at Bush Gardens. Don't do anything stupid and go beat South Carolina. Well, the last question for you, Angelique. And speaking of fun, you wrote a story the other day about Chase Winovich and some of the other guys. I think Maurice Hurst was one of them you mentioned dyeing their hair orange for the game. And this is for a good cause. This is if yes. I, I, I think if they can raise, I think it's $15,000 for the Chad Tuff Foundation. They're going to do this. I, I think that's what you said, it's, isn't it? It is. That was the initial challenge from Chase, matching his number. Now it's, at least of today, it's, I think, about 75000 So now uh, now Hearst will be dyeing his hair because he was doing 73000 Then then um, Grant Newsom jumped in on this. So he's going to be dyeing his hair. If they get to 100000 Devin Bush will dye his hair, which that might be 
something this week. <laughs> and um, and then apparently, according to Chase Winovich, uh, Don Brown is throwing his hat in the ring. And if it's, I believe it's 125000 uh, if that's met, he will dye his mustache orange. It's very cool. I mean, it's for the Chad Tell Foundation yes. and, and to raise money to um, research this um, this terrible pediatric tumor that uh, Chad Carr um, succumbed to, sadly, two years ago. And um, and so many kids now, it's amazing. And it's, you know, again, it's maybe when you learn something about something you didn't know about, DIPG, and then you start reading more kids are diagnosed with this. And it's amazing what Tammy Carr and Jason Carr have been doing with this. And it's, yeah, Chase Winovich has talked all year about growing his hair long and bleaching it. He wanted to do something with his hair to, to for a charity. And and this is it. So um, I think we're going to see a lot of orange hair on Saturday. Such a great cause. It might look a bit strange with those uniforms, <laughs> but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Well, well, that's what I keep saying. Orange is the new uh, maize and blue, apparently. Well, so, there you go. Well. There you go. Well, hopefully... <laughs> Crazy. Uh, it, in the coming years, we're going to be talking about Michigan's upcoming playoff games, Angelique. But for now, still nice to be in a New Year's Day game. And I know you like this part of it too, Angelique. It's a noon start. Oh, what are you saying? That I really complain about late <laughs> kicks? Is that what you're saying? I've never been that person. Yes, I have. And uh, yes, I really like that it's a noon kickoff. And, um, but unfortunately, then, then your editors demand the stories even earlier. They're like, come on, you can finish this earlier. So it's a, you know, pick your poison, but no, I think it's great. And, and I think that, that they like it, that it's, it's going to overlap. I think the uh, Capital One Bowl starts at one. So they'll have the market for about an hour, a little over. And, um, and it's New Year's Day, so that's appealing to recruits. And I think that's what uh, Harbaugh will be pitching. My guest today has been beat writer Angelique Shingelis from the Detroit News. And, of course, we missed having you on during the Ohio State Week, Angelique. But <laughs> Me it's- too. It's wonderful to end the year having you join us to uh, preview the Outback Bowl. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it always. And, and uh, I'm wishing you and, and your listeners a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year, Happy everything. And um, just a great holiday season. That's, that's the, the most important thing. And the same to you, Angelique. Uh, enjoy sunny Florida. And the next time we talk, it's probably going to be during spring practice. So until then, take care, Angelique. And as always, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Mike. You too. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. On Quick Hits, thanks again to my guest today, beat writer Angelique Shengelis from the Detroit News. On Thursday, we'll have our last show of 2017, our visitor segment with South Carolina beat writer Ben Briner from the State News out of Columbia, South Carolina. Make sure you join us for that. Next week, we'll be back to wrap up the bowl game and the season. Because the game is on Monday, we'll probably push the show back until Thursday, as everyone covering the team will be down there and making their way home on Tuesday and Wednesday. In January, we'll be back on our weekly schedule of one show a week. Even though it will officially be the off-season for football, as always, we'll have recruiting updates with Steve Lorenz and talk about anything happening in the program. But it will also be time to pay attention to the busy winter sports scene with men's and women's hoops, hockey, and much more. 
So don't leave us after the bowl game. There is never a dull moment on the Michigan sports scene. And I'll be here weekly to get you up to speed on what's happening. I hope to have a Michigan Man Extra for you each and every month, too. Remember, our free show app is available from the Google Play and iTunes stores. You can hear us weekly on Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Wolverine Sports Radio. That will do it for today. Remember to join us again on Thursday for our Visitor's Edition with South Carolina beat writer Ben Briner from the State News. Until then, have a great Wolverine holiday week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until Thursday, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!